Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And we are pleased to have in our studio today for you, Sonia Ann Coley Israel, PhD. She's a professor emeritus and professor of research in the Department of Psychiatry and the Center of Circadian Biology at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine. Dr. Ann Coley Israel received her bachelor's degree from the State University in New York and Stony Brook, a master's degree in psychology from California State University, and that was in Long Beach, and a PhD in psychology from the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Ann Coley Israel's expertise, and this is why we brought her in for you today, is in the field of sleep disorders and circadian rhythms, particularly in normal aging and neurogenerative disease and in cancer. Her research has included studies on the longitudinal effect of sleep disorders on aging, therapeutic interventions for sleep problems in dementia, and, and in the relationship between sleep fatigue and circadian rhythms in cancer. She's published regularly in medical and psychiatric journals with over 525 publications in the field and has won numerous prestigious awards. Dr. Ann Coley, Israel is deeply embedded in the San Diego Jewish community as well. She served on several synagogue boards of directors and co-chaired the committee that built the San Diego Community Holocaust Memorial Garden at the Jewish Community Center and chaired the Congregation Bethel Com Committee that built the Holocaust Memorial on that campus. And with all that, she still mm -hmm. has time for passion other than her family, travel, photography and beating. Mm -hmm. Sonia has her own travel blog, journeyswithsonia.com. <laughs> so welcome, Sonia. We're glad to have you here to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. And as we know, sleep issues plague many, many women, and especially as they age. And at a time when sleep is so important, older women often find themselves awake for hours in the middle of the night, unable to get back to sleep. So we thought we'd start the discussion there and ask you to talk about this important topic with us. Great, well, thank you. Thank you for that introduction, Gail. And hi, Catherine, thank you for having me. Um, it's really my honor to, uh, to be here. I'm a somewhat new member to this group. I turned 70 uh, about eight months ago. So um, I'm happy to be here. Um, sleep. Sleep is extremely important for everyone. And it's the, the kind of, it, it's the concept, it's the thing that most people are likely to give up on. Um, we have very busy lives. And often when there's not enough time for everything we need to do, the one thing we don't get enough of is sleep. Not understanding that the more sleep we get, the more rested we are, the more efficient we can actually be. So I, I want to back up a little bit and talk about what happens to sleep as we age. Mm -hmm. There is this myth that as we get older, we need less sleep. And that just is not true. All adults, no matter what age, need between seven and eight hours of sleep. What does happen, though, as we get older is we have a harder time getting the sleep that we need. 
So it's the ability to sleep that's changing rather than the need to sleep that's changing. And the reason the ability to sleep changes comes down to um, all the medical and psychiatric illnesses that become so much more common as we get older, the medications that we use, and so many older women, men and women really, take way too many medications and that can affect our sleep. Changes in our circadian rhythms and our biological clock that naturally occur as we get older. And the higher prevalence of primary sleep disorders. Uh, there, there are quite a few sleep disorders that just become more common as we get older. And those are the four main reasons that it becomes harder for us to get the sleep that we need as we get older. What, what are those four? Can you, can you explain them? Yes. So, um, if we think about, um, the different medical conditions, whether it's the pain of arthritis or cancer, uh, neurodegenerative disease, um, uh, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, all the, the typical disorders that become more common as we get older can all affect how we sleep. And by treating these disorders at the same time that we treat the sleep issue, we can get the be best response. You know, we used to talk, for example, uh, if we use insomnia as, um, as an example, we used to say that insomnia is secondary to pain or to depression. We now know that that's not the case. These occur concurrently <laughs> and treating one improves the other and it works in both directions. So if you're depressed and you treat just the depression, the sleep doesn't get better and the depression won't get that much better either. If you treat the sleep and the depression at the same time, you get improvements in both. And so we now know that insomnia is a primary disorder. It is not secondary to anything. Mm -hmm. And when all these things are being treated, you need to treat them concurrently. So th that's the psychiatric medical part. Medications, just about any medication you can think of will have an effect on sleep. There are medications that are stimulating. And if you take them at night, it's going to make it harder to sleep. There are medications that are sedating. And if you take them in the morning, you start getting sleepy during the day. And the more you sleep during the day, the harder it is to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And so often by just adjusting the dose of the medication and the timing of that medication, you can have a tremendous positive impact on sleep. And, and what I tell everyone is talk to your doctor. Uh, you shouldn't make changes in your medications on your own, but talk to your doctor about whether the dose could be reduced and what is the best time of day to take that medication keeping your sleep and your daytime functioning in mind with that. Mm -hmm. And does this have to do more with as you get older? Or, I mean, can this happen to, to anyone at any age? It can happen to anyone at any age. But as we get older, we have more medical problems and we're taking more medications. Mm. So we see it more in the older adult, but absolutely it, it's true at any age. Yeah. 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 
So the the third one, you want me to keep going? Or? Yeah, sure, please. The third um, point, bullet point, was changes in our circadian clock, our mm -hmm. biological clock. So let me explain what that means. Circadian rhythms are 24-hour rhythms, circa dies. It comes from the, from the Latin meaning about a day. And we have these 24-hour circadian rhythms in many different parts of our body. The main clock is in our brain in an area called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And it, we've learned very recently, controls multiple clocks that occur throughout our body. So all our major organs, muscles, everything's got its own clock that's all controlled by this master clock in the brain. And many, many things have their own fluctuation, this circadian fluctuation. Blood pressure. Blood pressure dips at night, comes back up again in the morning. That's a circadian rhythm. Um, Many of our hormones have, like cortisol, for example, has its own circadian rhythm. Melatonin, not the kind you buy over the counter, but melatonin is actually a hormone that's secreted in our brain in the pineal gland. It also has a 24-hour rhythm. And that 24-hour rhythm of melatonin is very much tied into our sleep. So... um I'm thinking of how much detail I want to go into here. Let, let's just leave it at that for now. So um, our 24-hour rhythms, our circadian rhythms are very, very important. And when they become either out of sync with the environment, because, you know, the environment has its own clock, right? The sun uh, sets in a certain time. It rises at a certain time. And our internal clock is actually a little longer than 24 hours. So we could get in trouble because we could actually become more and more out of sync with night and day. So what resets our clock every day is light, sunlight. So morning light is very important for health and for strong circadian rhythms because that's what resets the internal clock every morning. Now, at different times of our life, the clock shifts on its own. So for most adults, we get sleepy somewhere around 10, 11 o'clock. We go to sleep, we sleep for our eight hours, wake up eight hours later, seven, eight hours later. But at different, at different age groups, this changes. So for example, in teenagers, adolescents, young adults, the clock becomes delayed. They don't get sleepy. That age group doesn't get sleepy till much later in the night, maybe one, two in the morning. And teenagers actually need eight to nine hours of sleep, if not more. So if you do the math, if they're not going to sleep, falling asleep till one in the morning, they're going to want to sleep till 10, 11, right? That's what teenagers do. And for years, parents have been yelling at their kids, stop being so lazy, stop sleeping the day away. When in fact, it was a very natural biological um, impulse. And that's why there's this big movement to start high schools later, not to start them so early in the morning. Because for a, a high school student to sit in a math class at 7.30 in the morning is like you and, and me trying to sit in a math class at 3 in the morning. For them, that's like the middle of the night. And it's why high school kids often sleep through their first couple of classes. So that's called a delayed sleep phase. 
Most people outgrow that as they grow into adulthood. They shift back to the more accepted, the more the more uh, standard time. But some people stay delayed their whole lives, and those are the people that we call owls. Um, owls are people that prefer being up at night. If you ask an owl, what's your best time of day? Uh, that, when I was seeing patients, I used to say, and I was trying to determine where their circadian rhythm was. I would say, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is you have to take an exam or give a presentation and your entire career depends on this presentation. The good news is you could give it at any time of the day or night. What time would you choose? What would be your best time? And if they said four or five o'clock in the afternoon, they were clearly owls. If they said morning, then they were either larks. And we'll get to that part in a minute. But so there are people who stay owls their whole life. Um, and they often pick jobs that allow them to work at night or else they have great difficulties because they have a hard time getting up early in the morning to get to work. So that's owls. And we do have ways to treat this and, and we can come back to that. Remind me if you want me to go over that and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But I want to get to us over 70. So what happens to our circadian clock? As I said, the, the, the young adults are delayed. Their clock is over here. The typical pattern is over here. But as we get older, it continues to shift so that older adults have what we call advanced sleep phase. We get sleepy earlier in the evening, maybe eight, nine o'clock. Um, and if we went to bed at that hour, we'd have no trouble falling asleep and we would sleep our seven to eight hours. But again, if you do the math, means you're waking up at what, three, four, five in the morning. What is the biggest complaint older adults have? I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I can't get back to sleep. And they are waking up in the middle of the night because physiologically speaking, their night is done. Their body is ready to wake up. The problem is the sun hasn't risen yet. And so they feel like it's abnormal. There are a couple of scenarios that have come along with this. One is, although we might get sleepy early, and by the way, that's why you have um, early bird specials at restaurants that older adults go to, right? We eat earlier, we go to sleep earlier, it's all part of that. All right, so one scenario is, even though we might get sleepy early, we think to ourselves, oh, I'm not going to bed at eight o'clock, that's way too early. So we sort of force ourselves to stay awake till nine or 10 or 11, but we still wake up at four in the morning because that's when our circadian clock is waking us up. Now we're not in bed long enough to get a full night's sleep. You can't sleep seven to eight hours if you're only in bed for five, right? So during the day, we're tired. We might take a nap in the afternoon. That nap allows us to stay alert later into the evening. So that's why we can stay up a little later, but we're still waking up early in the morning. So we get into the cycle of not getting enough sleep at night and needing to nap during the day. That's the first scenario. Second scenario, which I think is much more common, is we come home, we have dinner, we sit down to watch TV or read in the early evening. And what happens? Exactly. We fall asleep. And we sleep maybe half an hour, maybe an hour. Then we wake up and we say, oh, it's time for bed. So we get ready for bed, we get into bed. And what happens now? You're wide awake because you just slept 
for an hour. You know, sleep is part of what we call a homeostatic process. You have to be awake a certain amount of time before you're going to be sleepy enough to fall asleep. So if you just slept for an hour and you get up and you try to go back to sleep, you're going to have a harder time because your homeostat, your sleep need hasn't built up enough to allow you to go to sleep. So now you come in to see a doctor like me and you say, God, you know, I have the hardest time falling asleep at night and I'm waking up really early in the morning. I must have terrible insomnia. And it's not insomnia. It's advanced sleep phase in combination with some very bad habits. That is this napping um, on the couch before it's time to go, before you go to bed. And if people would just, instead of falling asleep on the couch, would just go to bed when they first started being sleepy, they would not have this problem. Mm-hmm. So that's advanced sleep phase. And it's not like the day you turn 65 or 70, you're suddenly advanced. It's a, it's a, um, a casual process that occurs um, as we get older. And it is much more common in older adults. Mm-hmm. So you hear that that um, naps are good for older people. I, you know, you read health magazines and, and uh, different articles and you hear that take a nap in the afternoon. It's good for you. 20, 30, 40 minutes. What all right, you- let's talk about napping. So first of all, there are a lot of data that suggests that naps are very bad for you, that they actually increase mortality. Um, so they shorten survival. It has to do, again, with blood pressure and what happens when we sleep. And there are an equal number of studies that say, no, that's not true. Naps are quite good for you. So we don't know what that answer is, really. I think the question that has to be asked is, why are you napping? Mm-hmm. Are you napping uh, what I call an inadvertent nap, which is you're trying to stay awake, you're trying to do stuff, but you can't and you just you're falling asleep at times when you really should be staying awake. That would be an inadvertent nap. And those naps usually happen because something is disturbing your sleep at night. You're not getting enough sleep at night. And so you're too sleepy during the day. Those would not be normal naps and those should be looked into. The other kind of nap is the nap on purpose. You know, I'm a little tired. I could stay awake, but I have the time. So I think I'll, I'll take a nap. The key with those naps is to limit it to 30 minutes. You know how sometimes you take a nap and you wake up and you feel worse than you did Mm -hmm. before you took the nap? Mm -hmm. That also has to do with our circadian rhythm and it has to do with our different sleep stages. If you limit your nap to 30 minutes, then you're more likely to wake up feeling rested and alert. Um, And you want to take that nap as early in the afternoon as possible so that it does not interfere with you going to sleep later on at night. So again, you want enough time in that afternoon for that need to sleep to build up Mm -hmm. so that you can fall asleep at night. And if you're napping and it's not interfering with your nighttime sleep, then I have no problem with it. If it is interfering with your nighttime sleep, so like people who have insomnia, we don't allow any naps. So it it just depends on the situation. So is there, is there, take me for example, I sleep really, really well. I I never nap. Rarely, rarely do I nap. I go to sleep like 10, 11 at night. I get up at around seven in the morning and people look at me like, what's wrong with you? 
when, you know, when I tell them I, I, I just have no trouble sleeping, I never have. And so, so what, what explains that? I mean, why do some people really just sleep well? So in general, throughout life, there are good sleepers and there are bad sleepers. And it's actually genetic. If your parents were bad sleepers, you're probably a bad sleeper too. Your parents are probably good sleepers. Mm. Um, but it also has to do with our health, especially if we talk about our over 70 group. The healthier we are, the better we sleep for all those reasons we just mentioned. Because if you're not healthy, that poor health interferes with sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's really a and, and studies have shown this over and over again, large epidemiological studies with tens of thousands of people. And the people that are healthy are better sleepers. And if you're not healthy and you're a poor sleeper, and then your health improves, your sleep improves as well. Mm-hmm. So they're very tied together. Yeah. Could you talk about sleep aids? Because that is such a huge market. Yes, I can indeed. So sleep aids are for insomnia. And, and I do want to get into some of the other primary sleep disorders as well. But so insomnia is defined as difficulty falling asleep or difficulty staying asleep. It has to occur at least three times a week, and it has to have been present for at least three months before we make the diagnosis of insomnia. And there are pharmacologic treatments for insomnia, and there are behavioral treatments for insomnia. And studies have shown over and over and over again that the behavioral treatments are the most effective and the the most long-lasting. So um, you've heard the expression, you can give a man a fish or you can teach him how to fish, right? I can give you a sleeping pill or I can teach you how to sleep. And that behavior, what the behavioral treatments do is they reteach you how to sleep. Um, So there are four cardinal rules. I can remember all four of them for behavioral treatments of of insomnia. One is don't spend too much time in bed. So if you want to sleep seven to eight hours, you should not be in bed more than eight and a half hours. The longer you're in bed, the more fragmented and disturbed your sleep becomes. So what does the insomnia patient do? Oh, you know, I didn't sleep a wink last night. I'm going to go to bed two hours earlier tonight to try to get more sleep. So they're extending their time in bed, which actually makes their sleep worse. So don't spend too much time in bed. Don't go to bed unless you're sleeping. Oh my God, it's 10 o'clock. I'm not tired, but it's time for bed. I'm going to go to bed. Or my spouse is going to bed, so I'm going to go to bed too. But I'm not sleeping. So you get into bed and you toss and you turn and you can't fall asleep because it wasn't your body's time to go to sleep yet. So you've got to listen to your body. You don't go to bed unless you're feeling sleepy. That could be at seven o'clock. It could be at nine o'clock. It could be at one o'clock. Whatever that time is, listen to your body. Don't stay in bed unless you're sleeping. So what does that mean? You wake up at night or when you first go get into bed at night and you can't go back to sleep. 
and you start tossing and turning and you get really tense and upset about the fact that you can't fall asleep and you're looking at the clock and now it's one in the morning and now it's 102 in the morning and now it's 107 in the morning and you're like, and of course, the tenser you get, the harder it is going to be to fall asleep. But if you're not asleep, get out of bed. You go into another room without too much light. This takes us back to our melatonin. Melatonin is secreted in darkness. The more light there is, the more that is telling your brain, up, oh, stop secreting melatonin, it's time to wake up. So the darker the bedroom environment, the better it is. And when you leave the bedroom, obviously you can't sit in the dark to do anything, but you don't want too much light. So you leave the bedroom and you try to do something that you find relaxing and conducive to sleep. That means you can read, but you don't start reading a book that where you get sucked in. Oh, you know, I'm getting sleepy, but I really want to know what happens. So you force yourself to stay up to keep reading. Or you're watching a movie and your eyes are starting to close, but you really want to see the end of the movie. That's not what you do in the middle of the night. Infomercials, magazines, short stories, things that you can easily put down because as soon as you feel your eyes closing, you want to get back into bed. And if, lo and behold, when you get back into bed, suddenly you're not falling asleep, you do it again. And how do you know when you've been in bed awake too long? It's that moment that you start getting tense and upset and anxious about not sleeping. You never want to be tense and anxious in bed. You want to be able to look at the bed and go, ah, sleep, not, oh, my God, I'm going to get into bed and not be able to sleep. And that's really what the behavioral treatment is doing. It's reconditioning your brain to, to have good thoughts about the bed and sleeping. So it's called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It is the most effective treatment we have, as I said. And um, once someone learns, relearns how to sleep, whenever they have a bad night, they know what to do, how to fix it again. By the way, I didn't give you the fourth. The fourth rule is get up at the same time every day. So you get to choose what that time is. But it's seven days a week you get up at the same time. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is our circadian clock needs one point around which it can fluctuate. You can't control what time you fall asleep. You can only control what time you wake up. And so if you get up at the same time every day, it helps synchronize your circadian clock. The other reason is if you sleep in, like, you know, people used to always want to as we get older, we don't do this as much because we tend to wake up earlier. But, you know, that sleeping in on Sunday mornings, the longer you sleep in the morning, the harder it's going to be to go to sleep that night. Because, again, there's not as much time for that need to sleep to build up. So getting up at the same time every day is, is the fourth rule in all of that. So that's the behavioral treatments. Now, most people don't get behavioral treatment. They use a pill. So let's talk. A little bit about that. There, there's the prescription medications, some of which are approved for sleep and some which are being used what we call off-label. They're actually approved for something else, but because they happen to be sedating, doctors prescribe them for sleep. Mm -hmm. um, an example of that is um, tamazepam. No, uh, I'm sorry. I just, it's not tamazepam. That's no, 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 no. Um, Trazodone, oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I'm a little jet lagged here, I should say. I just came back from Asia and 
I am not getting enough sleep. So yes, thank you, Catherine. Trazodone. About that too, but let's. Trazodone is one of the most commonly prescribed medications for sleep. It is an antidepressant. It is not a sleeping aid. Um, but it happens to be sedated. So many doc and and it's not a controlled substance. So many doctors will prescribe trazodone for sleep. If your listeners are taking trazodone and they find that it helps, that's fine. But many, many people find that A, after a few weeks, their sleep is back to the way it was. Plus, they feel very sedated the next morning. And so many of us don't recommend trazodone as one of the better sleeping aids. There are now, oh my God, I actually have a slide with a table. I think over 10 or 15 different drugs that are approved specifically for sleep. I don't want to go into naming drugs, but the key is to find the drug that's appropriate for your sleep problem, for your type of insomnia. Some drugs are meant to be taken when you first get into bed or half an hour before bed. Some are approved to take in the middle of the night. Most of them, not all, but most of them, you have to be in bed for at least seven to eight hours. Some of them help you fall asleep. Some of them help you stay asleep. So the two questions you and your physician need to be answering are one, what is your problem? Is it a problem falling asleep or staying asleep or both? Because that will help narrow down which sleeping pill is right for you. And the other is, how much time are you devoting in bed? If you're only in bed for five hours, almost all of these drugs are going to be inappropriate because you're going to have side effects such as being too sleepy in the morning when you wake up, when you shouldn't be driving or, or you know doing certain activities. So you really need to answer those two questions. Some of the newer drugs, there are three of them now, I think, are a whole different kind of mechanism than the older drugs. So Zolpidem, which is Ambien, is still one of the most common ones because it's now generic and it's cheap. And there are people that have been using it for decades with no problems. And again, other people do have problems. It, it, it's a very individualized thing. Not every drug is going to work for every person. So you got to find what's right for you. The newer, these newer um, mechanism drugs seem to be a little safer than some of these older drugs. But again, it, it's a, a question of, of you talking to your physician and figuring out which drug, if you're going to take a drug, is the most appropriate for you. Now, the other Two things that people tend to do is one is many people will use alcohol to help them fall asleep. And alcohol does make you sleepy initially, but several hours later when the alcohol leaves your bloodstream, it wakes you right back up again. Alcohol causes insomnia. Now imagine that you're drinking with dinner. So you have, you know, a few drinks with dinner. You might be sleepy initially right after dinner, but a few hours later when you go to bed, you're going to be wide awake and you're going to have trouble falling asleep. Or for those people that are using the alcohol specifically to make them sleepy at bedtime, yes, they'll fall asleep faster, but one, two o'clock in the morning, they're going to wake up. So alcohol is a bad idea um, to be used for sleep. And if you have insomnia, you should avoid all alcohol. 
What's a little more concerning are some of the over-the-counter sleeping aids, like all the PM drugs, Tylenol, PM, et cetera, PM, you know, because the list goes on and on. They all contain diphenhydramine, which can make you sleepy, but has many other side effects that particularly in the older adult are very concerning. And so I and my colleagues never, ever recommend for an older adult to use these drugs. In fact, we discourage it. It can cause confusion, delirium, uh, urinary uh, retention. It can make glaucoma worse. Uh, and that's just a short list. There are too many side effects for an older adult to be using any of these over-the-counters. People think, you know, well, some of the counters must be safe. I don't need a prescription, so it's got to be okay. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So you're, if you have trouble sleeping, if you have insomnia, the first thing to do is try to find someone that can treat it behaviorally. Talk to your physician. Find your local sleep medicine clinic. They should help you be able to help you find someone. They probably have someone on staff that can do that. And and talk to your doctor if it's not going to be that. If you are going to take a, a medication, figure out what that best medication is going to be for you. Don't assume that because your friend or your neighbor or your husband is taking something that, that that's going to be the right thing for you to take. Wow. Lots of good advice, Sonia. Thank you so much. And Catherine, did you have another question? Last I just, I think you were going to say something about larks, a little bit more about the larks. So larks are the morning people. Those are, those are us older people who are phase advanced because we wake up early in the morning. We're called morning larks as opposed to the owls. I do. Do we have a little more time? I want to say sure. just a brief word about sleep apnea. Yeah, go ahead. Because sleep apnea is extremely common in the older adult. Um, over 60% of older adults have sleep apnea, although most of them don't know. So what is sleep apnea? This is a disorder where people stop breathing in their sleep. Right. They fall asleep. If this is your airway, when you fall asleep, your airway collapses. You're trying to breathe, but you can't because your airway is closed. You wake up, the airway opens, you go back to sleep, the airway closes, and this goes on throughout the night. Two of the main symptoms of sleep apnea are loud snoring. Uh, and we ask, we would ask our patients, how loud do you snore? Can you be heard only in your bedroom? Can you be heard one room away? Are you a two room? Can your neighbors hear you? Often they say yes, because it's a very loud snore. And the other is this excessive daytime sleepiness, this falling asleep at inappropriate times. Mm -hmm. Because your sleep is so disrupted at night, because you constantly have to wake up to start breathing. Most people that have sleep apnea don't know they stop breathing. They're not aware of waking up. These awakenings are very brief, um, but it's enough to disrupt your sleep. And it's enough to keep you from getting enough oxygen to your brain. And so there are many consequences of untreated sleep apnea. So um, if you know you snore, if you find yourself being too sleepy during the day, it's very important to talk to your doctor. Uh, your physician about uh, having you tested for sleep apnea because if we're older, there's a great chance we have it. It's uh, in a younger adult, it's more common in men than women. Actually, in older adults, it's more common in men than women, but 
women still have it to a very high extent. And as we become postmenopausal, it becomes much more common. So, so estrogen seems to be protected uh, somewhat for the sleep apnea. So it's a very important sleep disorder to know about. It's a very important sleep disorder to get treated. We now know that untreated apnea increases the risk of dementia, Alzheimer's disease, mm -hmm. um, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, stroke, uh, and early death, none of which you want. So <laughs> if you suspect you have it, go see a, a, a specialist and get it treated. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> you you have really covered important areas here and uh we so appreciate your being on our show and and um you know at another time i'd love to have you back and talk about the holocaust and the jewish museum and some of your pastimes the travel photography and i would love that those are all things very close to my heart so right i would love to be back Right. But this was very important and we appreciate it, Sonia. And thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you.